0: And in this book club, if you haven't read the book, it's all right. Although, we hope you'll be inspired to pick it up next time you're in the library. I'm your co-host, Slate Kemet, and you can consider the book club rewritten because this is Club Book. This season of Club Book looks and sounds a little different than our previous seasons. Due to COVID-19, we are bringing seasons to you virtually instead of our traditional live events hosted in libraries around the Twin Cities Metro. Our format will be a little different too. Events this season will consist of facilitated author discussions by some really great guest hosts. And we'll also include a Q&A section with questions submitted by our virtual audience. With that, I'll turn it over to our host for this evening's event. Enjoy.
1: Hello. Welcome to Club Book tonight with Mega Majumdar. My name is Kaelin Creason, and I'm a librarian with Washington County Library, uh, who's a co-host of tonight's event. I'll be your moderator for our discussion and Q&A tonight. Before I introduce our guest properly, allow me to take a moment to tell you a little bit more about what made this possible tonight. So Club Book, if you don't already know, is a program of MELSA, the Metropolitan Library Service Agency, made possible through Minnesota's Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund and coordinated by Library Strategies, part of the Friends of the St. Paul Public Library. Club Book has been a part of the Twin Cities uh, literary landscape in some form for a decade now. Some of you have been along with us for that whole ride, uh, but they've never brought you a season quite like this. So thanks for making the pivot with us to Facebook Live. A uh, thanks also to partnering bookseller, Red Balloon Bookshop. Without further ado, Megha Majumdar is the pen behind A Burning, one of the most anticipated and best reviewed fiction debuts of 2020. Set in modern day India, this propulsive narrative hinges around three characters on the margins of society. Javen, a Muslim girl living in the slums of Kolkata Lovely, a member of India's intersex Hijra community, and P.T. Sir, an opportunistic gym teacher turned right-wing politician. Although fiction, a burning quickly dismantles the ordinary skepticism that attends the reading of made-up stories, according to the New Yorker, and offers a powerful corrective to the political narratives that have dominated in contemporary India, notes Time Magazine. Majumdar is herself a native of Kolkata, she moved to the United States to attend school at Harvard and John Hopkins University, and she's currently an editor at Literary Magazine and independent publisher Catapult. A Burning has won several honors since its June launch, including being picked up by NBC's Today as the summer's Read with Jenna pick. After a short presentation and reading by our guest, we'll have time for audience Q&A. Simply drop your questions into the comments thread here on Facebook and our tech manager will route them to me. So. Without anything else, let's hear from Mecca.
2: Hi. Kaylin. <laughs> hi, Mecca, How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for that really lovely introduction. Um, and hi, everybody who's watching. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I just want to take a second and say thank you especially for joining us for some chat about writing and fiction during this really tough year, which continues to be you know take us into a really tough fall. I hope that this moment of chatting about a book provides you a bit of rest and respite and perhaps some energy for your own creative work. Um, So I think we're going to start off by um, I'm going to read just a little bit from my book which is called A Burning and um, I can provide a really quick introduction to the book which is um so a burning is a novel which is about three people who are chasing really big dreams um as the society around them makes this really dangerous turn toward right-wing nationalism so there's a young woman who all she wants is to rise to the middle class keep her job at a mall Um, but she gets into big trouble because of this politically risky comment that she makes on Facebook. Um, The second main character is a school teacher who feels that he's not really having the kind of vigorous impact on his society that he might've hoped for. And he becomes involved in the workings of this right-wing political party. And the third and final main character, is called Lovely, and she is somebody who, from the very margins of society, she wants to, um, she, she chases the biggest possible dream, the wildest possible dream, I think, which is to become a movie star. Um, so I'm just going to read for a couple minutes from the beginning of A Burning. You smell like smoke, my mother said to me. So I rubbed an oval of soap in my hair and poured a whole bucket of water on myself before a neighbor complained that I was wasting the morning supply. There was a curfew that day on the main street. A police Jeep would creep by every half hour. Daily wage laborers compelled to work would come home with arms raised to show they had no weapons. In bed, my wet hair spread on the pillow. I picked up my new phone, purchased with my own salary, screen guard still attached. On Facebook, there was only one conversation. These terrorists attacked the wrong neighborhood. The more I scrolled, the more Facebook unrolled. The night before, I had been at the railway station, no more than a 15-minute walk from my house. I ought to have seen the men who stole up to the open windows and threw flaming torches into the halted train, but all I saw were carriages burning, their doors locked from the outside and dangerously hot. The fire spread to huts bordering the station, smoke filling the chests of those who lived there. More than a hundred people died The government promised compensation to the families of the dead 80,000 rupees, which, well, the government promises many things. In a video to the dozen microphones thrust at his chin, the chief minister was saying, let the authorities investigate. Somebody had spliced this comment with a video of policemen scratching their heads. It made me laugh. I admired these strangers on Facebook who said anything they wanted to. They were not afraid of making jokes. Whether it was about the police or the ministers, they had their fun. And wasn't that freedom? I'll stop there. Wow, thank
1: you. That was a re- <laughs> it's really, I mean, even in its opening, a very powerful story. And Thank you,
2: Kaylin.
1: How, yeah, it's clear to see how it connects just from that beginning to today, and I can see why it's something that is just you know a breakout novel, like a very anticipated debut. So, I know a lot of our community members um, thought that as well, and they submitted some really great questions for you. Uh, before we get into those, is there anything you want to say uh, more about your novel?
2: Um. I guess thank you to everybody who has um, read it and engaged with it so thoughtfully. Um, it's been a strange experience publishing my first book in this, in this year, um, but I have been so grateful for the ways in which the book has found its way to you. Um, and I'm really grateful for that.
1: Yeah, well, we're grateful for you too. So thank you for giving us a reason to find community tonight. Um, So, okay, so these are some questions I have from our community uh, that I'm gonna read. They were submitted in advance, but please everyone feel free to submit any other questions you might have for MEGA. Um, So one person writes, I most enjoyed the journey and internal struggles of PT, sir. Um, I have to admit part of the appeal of that storyline for me is as an American, anything other than our two party political system seems novel. Were the political elements in a burning something you envisioned from the get go, or did you sort of come up with them as the story evolved?
2: That's a great question. Thank you. Um, so, for those watching who uh, don't know, P.T., sir, is the school teacher in the novel. He's the school teacher who gets involved in this right wing political party. And, you know, I had this system in mind from the start because where this book started was from me looking at what was happening in India and not just in India, really around the world, you know, the rise of the right wing, the rise of this kind of hatred-filled extreme ideology which seeks to govern who belongs where Um, And I wanted to write about how ordinary people make their way through such a society, you know, how do we move forward, how do we chase our ambitions and live with a sense of meaning and purpose, live with our spirits intact in a time when the institutions around you don't serve you you know they don't protect you and you find that you have to you have to fight against the systems around you in order to live with integrity um so pt sir's character came out of thinking about well let's imagine this totally ordinary person you know he's not evil he's not a villain he's just an ordinary school teacher who thinks well I thought my job would look different. I thought it would be more of um, a job which has an impact on these kids, but the kids disdain him and they kind of make jokes about him. And so he gets involved in this political party which draws him in and then he has to make these tough moral choices.
1: Great and very clear to see. Um, I, in relation to that, I noticed in the novel, and a few of our readers did as well, that he's only ever called PT Sir, which some people might not know, but that's just that's not a that's not a name. That's a right. Sir, and so, what was your intent behind that?
2: Um. So, I just imagined a gym teacher, you know, somebody who is a teacher but doesn't teach an academic subject. And in that, is a little bit apart from everybody else, is a little bit apart from, you know, the rest of the teachers. Um, And PT Sir is what we called our gym teacher Um, when I was growing up in India. PT stands for like physical training. So, the physical training teacher was called PT Sir. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Awesome. Uh, That totally connects to the next question we have on our list, which is, um, it starts by the question writer saying, I'm trans, and so I really appreciate the Hijra character of Lovely. Aside from what you doubtless picked up living in India, did you do any special research on this community to make these depictions seem realistic to your satisfaction? And what was the hardest part about writing Lovely's
2: Mm. Hijra
1: community uh, in the book?
2: I'm so glad that Lovely spoke to you, you know, she um, is a character who I wrote um, after a lot of research, and in fact, I, my background is in social anthropology, so I always turn to ethnography, um, and there has been excellent, complex ethnographic work um, on hijra communities by scholars like um, Gayatri Reddy, Vaibhav so I read their work, and that was really helpful, and then, you know, I wanted to write this character who, because of her position of complex marginalization, she is intimately acquainted with um, the oppressive might, the oppressive force of the state, you know, but even from that place, she is somebody who refuses to accept what the society tells her, you know, she's constantly told, well, this is your place in society, but she says, you know what, I, my dream is to be in the movies, that is what I love, and I'm going to chase that, and so I just wanted to write this kind of joyous, arc for somebody who um, has no illusions, but is so full of spirit, is so full of defiance and, and joy, and has a great sense of humor. You know, I wanted to write a person who has all of that complexity, who is so much more than their struggle or their suffering. You know, she watches TV, she hangs out with her sisters, you know, um, she makes jokes, she teases people back when they try to shame her on the street. Um, And yeah, I really enjoyed writing Lovely.
1: That's wonderful. And I think she, readers can see that she, she, you do find a very authentic voice, it feels like with her. Um, She's a very fun character to read and definitely and you would know more about this as being an editor and in publishing, but she does not fit into kind of the tragic gay or tragic LGBTQ stereotype that so often in decades past has been seen. And so that's a very cool thing. Um, And speaking of editing and publishing, we have a live question that just came in about, which you can speak to as an author and editor, um, how would you recommend that somebody, a writer, find editors, agents, and others, or like maybe tell your story about getting your job at Catapult or getting your uh, book published? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, so in in addition to writing, um, I have a full-time job, which is uh, editing at a small press called Catapult, which is based here in New York. Um I think, you know, the, the first piece of advice I would have, and I'm guessing this is coming from, from a fellow writer and somebody who is perhaps starting to think about sending their work out. Um, you know, the first thing I would say is to make sure that um, the, the book, the manuscript that you're going out with is in its strongest possible shape You know, that doesn't mean, you know, anything like perfection. Um, there's, There's no perfect manuscript, but just getting it to a place where you feel that you are no longer able to make it any stronger. Perhaps you can see the problems, but you don't know how to fix them. So that's when you need an agent and an editor. And then, you know, a good place to start, and this is something that I did, was... Um, I looked at books that I love and books that I felt my novel would be in conversation with um, and look at who agented those books and you can see that information um, if you you know flip open any book and go to the acknowledgements in the back the agent and editor will typically be thanked so you can kind of see their names and you can google them and you know they will have a usually they will have a web page where they have more information on what books they have worked on what they're looking for how to query them and all of that information so that is a good place to start i think doing your research and figuring out well this agent works with such and such author you know that's that's a really good way to proceed um and you know then your agent really guides you in submitting to editors um i i think that um perhaps this is not super super common knowledge but when you're a writer typically you don't submit um, directly to publishing houses you sign with an agent who does that for you um, and it serves you as the writer to have an agent that you trust because you know, not only will they help you polish up your manuscript, do some more editorial work, but they also have relationships with editors and know who is looking for what kind of book, you know, what publisher publishes what kind of book, and they can really guide you in, in making thoughtful submissions.
1: Thank you so much. That question was from Mia. So thank you, Mia, and thanks, thanks Mia. For helping Mia out. Um, kind of along that spectrum. So like as an editor too, you're very familiar now with that beginning part of the the process from editing a book to selling a book. Um, We had one reader ask though about on the other end, you were featured on the Today Show as a read with (laughs) Jenna Pick and our question asker wants to know what on earth that was like, like what your reaction was and just how did that feel?
2: Uh, it was bananas. I couldn't believe it. Um, You know, I wrote this book over about four years, Um, the whole time I had this full-time job. So I was really carving out, you know, a half hour here, 45 minutes there to work on this book. And the book is set in India. So I wasn't really sure that there would be any American interest in the book, um, so when I heard about the um, the Today Show read with Jenna News, I think it was um, an email from my incredible publicist Gabrielle, um, and it was just a moment of shock. You know, it's this moment of feeling like, wait, do they mean me? My book? Did they make a mistake? You know? Yeah. So, and I feel like. Along this book journey, um, there have been moments like that um, of the book being lifted up, um, of the book being reviewed thoughtfully, etc. Which, when you get the good news, you're you're kind of it's kind of like you're watching someone else get the good news, you know, it's hard to believe that it's happening for you because in your head, it's just you and this word document and, you know, you're still kind of chipping away at it. So I've been really, really grateful for it. Um, And then I got to go on, uh, on TV. I mean, I was, I was here in my living room, but (laughs) I was on TV briefly um, and I got to chat with them and it was, So cool. I think I was so nervous that like they had me do it on my cell phone. And I was so nervous that I sat way too close to my cell phone and looked terrible, but I was very happy.
1: (laughs) That's a wonderful story (laughs) So good, and your novel totally deserves that um, recognition. And kind of going into that, I've heard you say that in a few interviews, and it's very true that your novel is set in India and very Indian, and yet it's had this just powerful uh, resonance with an American audience. And so what do you, I mean, readers can obviously speak to themselves what resonates with them, but what is it do you think that makes this such a resonant novel right now in America?
2: That's a great question. Um, I think part of it might be that this is a year where you know, we are all thinking about the injustices around us, you know, the ways in which the pandemic has exposed um, fault lines, you know, has exposed biases and prejudices, um, the wave of Black Lives Matter protests and uprisings. Um, I think people, this is a year where, where people are thinking about how the systems and institutions that we are surrounded by treat us, you know? Um, What kind of institutions have we made and how do we live with integrity and how do we live with our our spirits intact in this time? And I think those connect pretty powerfully to questions in the book, maybe, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no. I've read the book and that totally makes sense to me. That's a great answer. Um, So a couple other, actually, we have quite a few um, audience questions that were submitted in advance. So thank you to the people who submitted those. It's great to see such a good response to this. And it's not a surprise at all. Um, I want to ask about the writing of the novel a little more. Uh, So a burning moves at such a brisk pace, someone writes with the point of view snapping frequently between main characters. Did you set out to make it snappy in this way or was it a style that came about organically?
2: (laughs) I love this question. Um, You know, I knew that I wanted the book to ask forceful questions, Um, forceful questions that felt like they had real world stakes and political stakes. Um, But at the same time, I didn't want to write something that would be, you know, kind of dry or polemical, you know, I wanted it to be a book that had intellectual seriousness, but also a book where At the end of your workday, you can maybe pick it up instead of watching TV and still be super absorbed in it. And that was a craft challenge that I set myself, you know, is, can I do that? Can I write a book which has intellectual heft and seriousness, but is also really fun and entertaining? And I think that sometimes, you know, things that are entertaining can get disdained a little bit. But I think that it is so powerful to absorb a reader or a viewer in your story to the point where they want to know what happens next. You know, that's the whole thing of binge watching a show—is you want to know what happens to this person. You know, I need to know where the story goes, and and I think that there is such. Um, craft there is such skill in in trying to do something like that so I wanted to see if I could do it and so I did want it to be very intentionally pacey and swift and you know help you turn the pages um but also make you think about the society around you
1: yeah I think you definitely succeed in that I now that you say there's like a binge quality to it, it's totally true. Like those short chapters, I had to know. I had to know what was (laughs) Um, and I wasn't disappointed. Um, Which speaking more to the writing style, uh, I love this person's question because it's just very honest. Some of the narration is first person, but some is third person. I couldn't crack the code. What drove what was used where, if that makes sense.
2: I love all of these um, writerly questions. I feel like this is all coming from writers working on your own stories or essays or you know whatever art you're working on. And um, it's really fun to have your questions. So thank you. Um, first person and third person. So two of the characters I wrote in first person And by the way, this is something that I I toggled, like I wrote sections in third, changed them back to first, changed them back. So a lot of figuring out what was working, but eventually I landed on first person for Lovely and Jeevan because um, I felt like the reader needed to be really close to their bodily experience of moving through the world. Um, and with PT, sir, who is in third person, I wanted to have the reader understand why this school teacher is, is taking these somewhat strange moral decisions um, and, you know, where he's going and what he wants. But at the same time, I wanted the reader to also have a little bit of distance from him, you know, a little bit of room to ask what is this person doing? And why is he doing it? You know, to ask, well, if I had this choice, if I had a shot at a little bit of political power, that would give me and my family more comfort, you know, a better standard of living, but it would mean crushing somebody else. Would I do it? You know, I wanted the reader to be able to ask those questions.
1: Wow, yeah, that's very interesting. That's awesome. That's really cool. A great answer. Um, So another real-time question that we have, and this one's pretty cool too. So someone asks, you've clearly incorporated so much of your own upbringing in Kolkata into this book. Are there aspects of the culture, episodes from your life, or other authentic pieces uh, that you couldn't fit into this debut book on India, but wanted to?
2: so much, you know, imagine um, reflecting on your own childhood and and your own hometown. I think for the book, I wanted to have that sense of specific intelligence, you know, where, um, and, and this is something that I grew up with, but also after I moved away and started visiting my parents, Um, I would notice this every time I visited, which was people had this strange, very particular intelligence and very particular humor that was growing out of the obstacles that they faced, you know, Um, from living in a place where things don't quite work and maybe you have to you know, fight to get a reliable water supply and, you know, the electricity grid goes down sometimes in the summer when everybody turns their AC on and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, the shopkeeper doesn't have enough change on him. So he devises the system where you get change back in the form of a candy bar. And, you know, so like all of this stuff would happen that I noticed and I felt that there was something so intelligent there, you know, it was all about people being inventive in their daily life, you know, people being creative and figuring out, okay, how do we live in these circumstances, you know? So I wanted that intelligence and that humor in, in the book and some of it I got, but some of it, of course, you know, there's just so many stories and so much that I couldn't really have in the book. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's super, that's very interesting. And I have a question. I know I have another question on here related to India. Um, But I want to know too, and I'm sure our listeners do as well. um, What's next for you, Mega? Are you working on another book? Like, Like, I'm sure this is the hot question right now, but you clearly have more to say about this and I'm sure so much more. So what's, what's next?
2: (laughs) Um, I am working on a second novel. Um, It's very different. That's all I'll say, but thank you so much for asking. I I really appreciate the interest.
1: (laughs) Don't worry. We wouldn't want to make you give more away than you feel comfortable at all. (laughs) Um, Oh, this is the question. So someone was wondering, do you know anything about how this book has been received in India? Um, In
2: India? Like what like, was that, Kaylin? Oh,
1: I just said has it been released in India? I don't yeah,
2: know. it came out in India um also in June um I still haven't I still don't have an Indian copy, or else I would have shown you the their version of the cover um but it has it has received, I think, you know, some really thoughtful reviews. it was um nominated for. Um, a pretty big prize called the JCB Prize, which I was really um, happy about. Um, It was long listed. It didn't get on the short list, but I was happy that it was on the long list. Um, Yeah, so I mean, you know, one thing that I stopped doing, which I never thought I would actually do before I had my own book out was I read a bunch of reviews in the early days, and then I stopped reading coverage of the book. Um, I think I was feeling a little overwhelmed by all the constant feedback on on something that I made, you know. So I think to protect my like brain and and energy and mental space, I had to stop reading coverage. So I haven't been reading too much coverage lately, but. I, I have been really grateful for the prize attention and the thoughtful reviews.
1: Well, I know you mentioned the cover or at least wanting to hold up a copy if you had an Indian copy. And we did have a, a question slash comment about the cover, which is just that um, one question asker absolutely loves it. And they just want to know like, how it came about, if you inspired it at all, if you got veto power on a cover at all. <laughs> they were just serious.
2: That is such a fun question. Um, I love the cover too. It is so beautiful. It is designed by, and in case anybody's joining us a little bit late, this is the cover that we're talking about. Um, I think it is gorgeous i'm glad that you love it too um and the the designer is called tyler Comrie. so check out his other work tyler Comrie. um i had nothing to do with it i can take no credit um this is actually um the the first and only cover option that they shared with me and i loved it um it's uh I guess I could have had veto power if there was something that I, that I truly didn't like, but that never happened. And um, I was especially happy that they snuck in the train. I don't know if you can see the train. Um, they snuck in a little train and I have been fascinated by trains since I was a kid. Um, it's one of those like temporary societies that really, um, fascinates me and so I was very happy that we got this on the cover
1: (laughs) wonderful I uh in relation to that we were just wondering too about the title um which is a great title and um I wonder if you knew always that that would be the title if you had other um options what you would say as a short like this is why I picked it kind of a thing but yeah what are your thoughts on that
2: um I had a different working title for a while. Um I think for a while it was called A Train Burns in Bengal. Mm. I remember having that on the document for for a long while, but I never loved it. It was just kind of a, you know, working title. And then I um my agent actually um Eric who is brilliant and who helped me do a lot else, but he also helped me discuss and brainstorm the title. Um, And I think we landed on a burning because it had that, you know, the book kicks off with with a literal burning of a train, of course, but, you know, hopefully it also gestures toward um, the flames of this fervent nationalism that are being and around the country and, and around the world really. So we felt like it could be read in several different ways um, and it was short, which is cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's very catchy. Yes, it comes. you remember it quite easily. Um, we have another real time question um, and this might tie into what we were talking about, but um, someone writes, I heard you say on NPR that there are close links between the US and India if you know where to look. They said, sorry if that's a bad paraphrase. Um, how are we more similar than the average unilingual American might appreciate?
2: Oh, that is a vast question. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah. um, that's good.
2: I think, you know, there, there are, there are so many similarities. If I, if I recall, I think we were talking about that in the context on the, on the NPR interview, we were talking about it in the context of similarities between um, white supremacy in the US um, and Hindu nationalism in India, you know, both of which are, again, these kind of Hateful extremist ideologies based on governing purity, you know, and laying down rules around um, who belongs in a certain place. Um, but uh, maybe it's more fun to think about the the more joyful similarities, you know. I think um, I I moved here from India to go to college and. Something that I have come to appreciate is the great diversity of regions. You know, every region has its own kind of, you know, foods that you're fond of, and and accents, and you know, um, landscapes, of course. Um, and also, I think the the love of literature. I I feel like I have really grown up as a reader in the US, you know, reading contemporary American literature. um, And, and the love of literature is, is so strong where I grew up in Kolkata, it's actually really known as a literary city. Um, So I think this, this love and, and protection of literature, you know, the idea that Reading holds value, you know. No matter how many other forms of entertainment exist, and no matter what else you can do with your time, reading holds value. And I'm here with a librarian, and you know, <laughs> I and feel I'm like fervently, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah,
1: <laughs> that's so cool to hear. That's, a, I mean, that's amazing. That's a very, and I love your um, how you answered that question and then also turned it to. Let's focus on what's hopeful, because that's really wonderful as well. And we do have one more uh, live question, but before we get to that, I wanna ask, I know you've said in other other interviews and even in our conversation today that um, a lot of the story is about these characters striving toward their dreams. And so when we think of, I I don't know, just like, and hearing you talk, you're very buoyant and, hopeful? And do you think it's a hopeful novel? What do you, you know, or, yeah.
2: Hmm. I think, you know, I think that's something that each reader will definitely have their own opinion about. Um, I was coming at it from a place of, you know, clear eyed looking at how certain people can be punished for, you know, who they are and their place in society and the kind of narrative that is easy to impose upon them. But I was coming at it from a place of hope, you know? Um, the The shape of the book as I saw it was, and without giving too, too much away, the shape of the book is, um, one kind of central downward arc surrounded by two upward arcs. So, you know, there are two major storylines in the book where um, people rise, you know, and so is that rise, is that success pure and unpolluted? I don't know, you know, maybe there are compromises that people have to make in such a society. And I was interested in thinking about that, you know, what does success look like in such a society? Um, Can you lift up others along with you in such a society? Or is it just you versus other people? So there are questions here about, you know, what does, what does success um, and victory look like? And can they be unpolluted? But but I was coming at it also from the perspective of characters who who are determined and who pursue big, big dreams and are not satisfied with where they are in their lives.
1: Um, That's great. Thank you for answering that. Uh, Another live question we have, uh, which connects to the other one about similarities between the US and India, or at least an American understanding of India is, that striving for middle class is a big part of Javon's storyline. And this person writes, my college roommate from Bangalore always talked about how classes in that part of the world are not quite how economic classes are understood in the US. Uh, Could you educate us on the meaningful differences as you see them and maybe how that connects to the centrality of the book?
2: Um, I think, so class mobility, you know if you read anything about India over the previous few decades, class mobility is always discussed um, for a while there were all of these magazine articles about India's huge middle class um, and part of part of where the central character, Jivan, who is the woman who works at a mall, where this character comes from is you know, she's part of a new class of workers in India who suddenly have these opportunities because um, you start to have malls, you start to have more retail opportunities, you start to have more restaurants and more people who work in food delivery, for instance. So all of these new opportunities opened up where their parents, perhaps the the only options available to them were in this story, you know, I have um, a a father who who drove a, a rickshaw. So there is this kind of expansion of the middle class where people who were not in the middle class before are able to climb up into it because of this layer of jobs in retail, jobs at restaurants, jobs, you know, created by the upper middle classes who have more wealth and can spend, you know, getting takeout or going to restaurants or whatever, buying shop, uh, buying shoes at malls and whatever. So I wanted to write about that expanding sense of class and this and this sense of aspiration too. You know, you you have people who are able to afford um, a cell phone plan where they might not have been able to afford one before. Um, in India, actually. Um, phone plans are one of the most affordable things and it's resulting in a ton of new people gaining access to the internet, gaining access to social media. You know, you read about um, rural villagers who are gaining access to market information and weather information that they didn't have before. So all of these things are having all of these kind of complex effects on class, the spread of wealth, and I was definitely interested in that. Cool.
1: Speaking, you mentioned social media too, and I know that plays a huge role in the kind of inciting incidents of the book. Um, And so does this idea kind of of perception and how the three characters want to be perceived. Um, Yeah, what was kind of your goal in writing about those themes?
2: Social media. Um, You know, I was interested in how there might sometimes be this notion that social media is this free terrain. You can make jokes, you can say whatever you want, there are no consequences. And I was interested in looking at how for people who have certain vulnerabilities in their real life, um, those vulnerabilities carry over into the, the space of the internet, you know, it's not, it's not a space where you are, are free or, or anonymous in any meaningful way anymore, you know, um, so I wanted to see how Jivan is, is, you know, trying to affect this Kind of middle-class freedom and one of her ways of exercising that freedom is by saying something reckless on social media but she forgets that she has because of her identity and her background she attracts the attention of the state in a way where a different narrative is imposed on her life
1: really fascinating um I can say your interview right now is making me want to reread the book. So (laughs) if you're listening right now and you haven't read the book, this is just going to, inform it so much it's really oh my god funny.
2: Kaylin! i can imagine that your to read list is literally hundreds of books long so <laughs> I, might,
1: I might have bitten off a little more than i <laughs> that could be, that could be accurate you say with all the books behind you <laughs> um, another question from social media uh, did you do any research to inform i'm sure you did quite a bit of research to inform the novel but even though it's a work of fiction they said for instance, they wanna know more about the terrorist attack that kicks off a book. Is it modeled on a real incident? Um, I'm sure there are other incidents maybe too, but yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the attack on the train that's right in the beginning of the book, I made it up. Um, I know that for people who are familiar with India and Indian politics, it might have resonances to another incident, but um, I made I made this one up um I I did research um like I said you know reading ethnographies I did research for um textures and places that I didn't have access to for instance um I watched these local news documentaries or like news clips I'm not quite sure what to call them, but they're just these um, videos of places like the kitchen in a women's prison, for instance, where I was trying to see, well, what does this space look like, you know and and you have all of these videos on YouTube um, of, you know, local news crews going into these places and doing some kind of report. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found those really, really helpful. But, you know, a lot of this is really drawn from my own observations of, of growing up in India. Um, and, you know, I have family, so I, I go every year almost. And I wanted to write about the stuff that, that I always remembered, you know, like the guava seller who, you know, sells his fruit at the end of your street, and you have kind of a joking teasing relationship with him or you know you get on a train and it is so crowded and there are five people squeezed into you know a seat that's meant for three and there's somebody's purse poking your head and you know i wanted to write about um the stuff that i saw and remembered
1: and i'm sure some of those memories were even more visceral now that you're in new york and some of those things are still (laughs) Still the same.
2: Too <laughs> true. Too true. true.
1: <laughs> um. So another question, and this is kind of a fun pivot. Uh, and the person prefaces with, "I'm sure you get this question all the time, but which character was hardest to find the voice for?"
0: Oh,
2: that's a great question. Um, I think one character that. Um, I mean for 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 all of the characters it's a little bit like you know you try writing them and you try writing them until you finally hook into their voice um but i think i definitely remember that happening with lovely's voice Um, lovely has a pretty distinctive voice in the book Um, and i wanted to write her voice um with with traces of you know the the particular history of English in India it's it was once the language of the colonizer and you know now it's the language of privilege and the elite Um, when I was a kid for instance I was told that I needed to get better at English I went to these um, English coaching classes when I was in kindergarten Um, and so this this thing of you know you have to learn English to get ahead. It is the language of the future, etc. That was so much a part of the reality for Lovely that I really wanted it to be part of her English and how she spoke. Um, and so to do that in a way which respected this character's complexity and integrity, um, you know, I, I worked hard on that.
1: Yeah, it's. Lovely has just such a wonderful voice that feels very true to her. So I, I would say you succeeded. I'm just one reader, but <laughs> <laughs>
2: thank you, Caitlin. <Helen. laughs> You're um, so generous. <laughs>
1: uh, uh-uh, I'm just saying things that are true, but thank you. <laughs> um, okay, another question from our live audience: Did you have any say in the production of the audiobook? They say, I'm an audible junkie, not done with this book yet, but getting there. Anyway, it seems so well put together. Do you get some credit for that?
2: (laughs) Um, The only participation I had in making the audiobook was I had these phone calls with um, the audiobook director. And by the way, I had no idea that audiobooks, some audiobooks have Directors. I did not know that until I, I spoke to this director. And, you know, she was, um, I think, helping select people, the actors who would read. Um, for those who haven't listened, it's, you know, read by a full cast of actors. And we talked about things like, you know, how old do you think the characters are? What do you think their mood would be in this scene? You know, Do you think You know what what kind of attitude or you know brashness or softness or you know what where would they fall on that kind of spectrum so we had um some really thoughtful conversations um really digging into the characters motivations and backgrounds and you know what they might be burying when they're speaking what they might be speaking toward like all of these really intricate questions which really helped me think anew about these characters, you know? Um, so that was a really fun process. But then, you know, the the PRH team just kind of went ahead and um, the actors have done a beautiful job. I've just listened to samples. Um, I haven't listened to the whole thing yet, um, but I'm so glad that you're enjoying it.
1: What's well, My follow-up question then is, any of those samples you've listened to how have they shed possibly new light or any of the questions the actors asked like how have they made you look at the novel differently or made you realize things about it
2: um you know listening to their listening to their samples it was so interesting because you know, we we talked about some of the practical stuff, of course, like this is the kind of accent that this person would have. um, And there were kind of regional differences. um, But also just thinking about, you know, what kind of buoyancy or what kind of spirit or what kind of like teasing inflection would be in someone's voice. And when it's it's kind of hard to talk about these things in the abstract, but when you listen to a sample, you can say, well, this sounds great or this sounds slightly off for this reason. And I think having to articulate why something is right or why something sounds like it's not quite there yet um or you know why you love the sound of this actor um having to articulate that is such a useful exercise for me as a writer because it it forces me to really get into the details of well what are the things that I imagined about these characters that I didn't write on the page
1: Ah, oh that's very cool that's a cool new world to explore it sounds like
2: yeah um
1: which I have another question like that that someone said and you can't answer all of it maybe but someone asks that maybe there are rumors about a movie but they want to know I don't know if you can speak to that but they do want to know who you would cast as the three characters.
2: Oh my god. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This is a hard question you know I I am I don't think I have even allowed myself to dare to daydream of these things. You know, um, if if there is a screen adaptation, um, I will be so excited and so grateful, but I feel like I'm not even touching it in my imagination. <laughs>
1: totally fair. You've got enough to take in already, It's that's <laughs> like. So, um, which I know we're starting to head into wrap-up territory a little bit. Um, so before I, I get into a couple of final questions, is there anything you want to like say or clarify from the past couple, like are you, yeah, anything um, you want to say
2: unprompted? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kaylin, this is so thoughtful of you. Um, I would love to take a minute to shout out a couple other books from um, actually from, from two different Minnesota presses, um, books that I have read this year and loved, if that's okay. Um, so one book is The Shame by McKenna Goodman, and this is out from Milkweed. And um, it's a really it's a very slim novel. It's a super, you know, one sitting book. um, And it's a really beautiful novel about making art and being a mother and this kind of strange and urgent road trip. So this one is called The Shame. Um, And the other book, um, which I gathered here, also from a Minnesota press. This one is from Grey Wolf. Um, it's called American Harvest. Um, it's by Marie Mutsuki Makit. And this one is nonfiction. So for people watching who love to read nonfiction, as I do, um, this is for you. Um, this is about the author, Marie, follows this group of people who are harvesting wheat. And they basically go from uh, I think, Texas to Idaho, just harvesting wheat at all of these different farms. And it's about, you know, religion and agriculture and geology and history and all of this. And this is this is a fatter book, not a one sitting book, but such a beautiful book, which which I really loved.
1: Well, it's like you read my mind because my last couple questions are going to be about what you're reading. <laughs> Um, and it's wonderful of you to not only take the time to read, but to shout out some uh, Minnesota Publishing House uh, productions. So thank you very much for that. Um, My
2: pleasure.
1: Those both sound great. Um, for people who really, I mean, who loved A Burning, like so many of us did, what would you recommend we read next? Do you have any, uh, you know, I, I know you you said you looked into some books that could be in conversation with your book when you were submitting it do you have any titles yeah
2: um oh my gosh what books was I thinking about um I was probably thinking about you know big books that felt politically engaged you know Tayari Jones Marlon James um Rachel Kushner um, Zadie Smith, um, but I actually have a, a newer book, which I also would love to recommend, um, which which I think, you know, if you liked A Burning, you would probably love this. Um, it's called The Death of Vivek Oji, and it's by a writer called Akweke Amezi. Um, And this is such a beautiful, heartbreaking novel, which takes on social, themes, you know, very socially engaged, but about such vigorous, robust, unforgettable characters. I really loved this novel.
1: So that sounds a lot like your book in the sense of you have very robust, unforgettable characters, (laughs) that it was just a pleasure to look into their world. Um, It's been, I don't know where we're at for time, but it's been so much of a pleasure to get to know them more through you tonight um, and to have you with us to share more about your amazing book. Um,
2: thank you so much, Kaelin. Um, thank you for being so generous and, and for putting you know, all of these questions together. Um, I can imagine that you are just swamped with work at the library. So I'm really grateful that you took the time to do this and thank you for bringing such great energy. I know it's just a Zoom but I I really feel the energy of this Zoom room. So thank you so much. It's
1: true, it's been wonderful. This has been the highlight of my week. Um, I'm hopeful it's been the highlight of others uh, watching their week as well. Um, Thank you everyone for submitting such thoughtful questions. You really, we were talking about it beforehand and you really went above and beyond. So thank you to our community for their engagement. And thank you so much, Mega, for making time for us. And for writing this really, I mean, just like urgent and immersive and essential book. Thank
2: thank you, you. Kaylin. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.
0: That wraps up our Washington County Library event with Megan Majumdar. And that will also wrap up our fall 2020 club book season. But have no fear, our 2021 spring season is right around the corner. We will be continuing to bring you events virtually So feel free to join us on Facebook Live and watch the event in real time, or listen to a podcast of the discussion a few days after the event. Stretching from February to May, we will host 12 amazing writers, starting with Eduardo Porter on February 24th. Eduardo Porter is an economics reporter and editor for the New York Times. His latest book, American Poison, How Racial Hostility Destroyed Our Promise, is a thorough and devastating exploration of the ways that racism has shaped nearly every aspect of modern American life. Visit us online at clubbook.org for details on past and present seasons, sign up for our e newsletter, check out our calendar, and so much more. Stay up to date with all of our events at our Clubbook Facebook page. If you're on Twitter, find us using the handle ClubbookMN. And if you enjoy these free club book events and podcasts, remember to share them with your friends. They just may too. Thanks again to all those who make Club Book possible, including Melsa, Library Strategies, and Minnesota's Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Our sponsors include Minpost and Red Balloon Bookshop, where you can purchase all the books featured in Club Book. Finally, a very special thank you to all the libraries hosting events this season. That's it for Club Book, the coolest club in town. We'll see you at the library.